Welcome to Spirit Behind the Screen. Each episode, your host, Marty McCurdy, deep dives on industry trends around high reliability electronics and the supply chain in aerospace and defense. This is episode 48 with Catherine Ivey about Brain Tumor Awareness Month and the work of the Ivy Brain Tumor Center. Hi, this is Marty McCurdy with Spirit Electronics and our podcast Behind the Screen. And it is my great pleasure today to have with us Catherine Ivey. So Catherine, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Today we are going to really dive into your expertise, which is not ours, but I think it's a, a very poignant point to come to in May because May happens to be an awareness month that maybe not too many people uh, know what the recognition is. So uh, you really are, a, in my mind, just a pioneer in creating an amazing foundation for nonprofit on brain tumors. So if you could dive in and tell us a little bit about May and, and, and what's happening with your uh, center. Well, May is officially Brain Tumor Awareness Month. And some people get a little confused, the difference between brain tumors and brain cancer. There are actually over 100 types of brain tumors, and some of them are benign and some of them are malignant. Um, When you have a malignant tumor that's cancerous, there's four stages, and number four is the worst stage, and that's called glioblastoma or GBM. 50% of malignant tumors are GBM. And the reason this is so important is it's the most aggressive cancer there is. The average life expectancy is 18 months. 98% of people do not survive beyond 18 months. And it's just has additional complications from other cancers. But what is so devastating other than the prognosis is one drug has been approved in 35 years for brain cancer. There's just been very little progress. And and why is that? Well, you can't remove your brain to study it. So, and you have limited real estate in your head. It's difficult to access, but Specifically, a glioblastoma stage four brain tumor is almost, it's somewhat soft and liquid. So it gets in the little crevices of your brain. And so you can't remove it unless you remove your brain. One of the reasons it makes it so deadly. So my husband in 2005, we're a very healthy individual living a very dynamic life. And we were hiking and his thumb went numb and he felt his arm something was odd with it and we really thought nothing of it and then it happened again a few days later and he felt like he couldn't control his tongue and actually those that was his uh, seizure that was he was so healthy that's how his seizure presented itself so we thought he had a pinched nerve and when he went to get an MRI and he mentioned the tongue, they did a quick scan of his head and he had a brain tumor. And when you have a brain tumor, they want to remove it as soon as possible. And three days later, he had it removed, went home two days later, did very well. 
shockingly, you can have brain surgery and be pretty normal after a few days right now. Um, but then the surgeon said it was glioblastoma and, you know, 18 months maximum to live. He survived only four months. And this disease is so puzzling and so challenging. He did so well after surgery, but six weeks after that, he couldn't walk, talk, eat, or write. And all that happened over a weekend. And so we went back in the hospital and they really, it was really hard to figure out what was going on. And they finally said, you know, is this tumor is just growing? Go home and get a grief counselor. There's nothing else we can do. So we went home. We were fortunate enough to have 24-hour care. And actually, he started getting a little better. I think we all heal best at home. And he was very determined. And he focused hard enough that he was able to walk a little. And in my opinion, he felt if he could just get on that exercise bike once a day, he was getting better. He still had some control of his life. And he, on Thanksgiving in 2005, he had a massive stroke that killed him. Glioblastoma is a very vascular tumor and can create blood clots. It was way too fast. The silver lining is he did not suffer longer. When we got married five years previously, we had set up a foundation, but we didn't fund it yet. We didn't know quite the specific purpose. And this situation made it very clear that more research needed to be done with brain cancer. Because you read the headlines, even in 2005, and you know, we worked in business, so oh, they're making progress. And then you're diagnosed and there's like, well, there's really nothing. You know, here we are today, and there still really is not too much. We started our foundation in 2006. We're the private, largest private funder of brain cancer in the world. It's the 10th largest cancer in the United States. Um, it does not get the research dollars that the lung and prostate and breast do because 20,000 people get it a year in the U.S. And also, glioblastoma is adult brain cancer. Brain cancer of children is a very different disease, still extremely serious. But if you look at the biological aspects, they're very different diseases, which is a unique. But anyhow, I started this foundation. I'm in my 17th year. About year 13, we had invested over $100 million. And I'm... I'm not saying you can buy disease, and I'm not saying it's all about money, but after 13 years and all that investment and working very hard with a lot of people who worked very hard, still nothing had changed, and I was very defeated. And so I said, okay, I don't have unlimited time. I don't have unlimited resources, so I'm going to place a big bet and just go for that home run. And we went on a global search of a project to try to hit that home run because nothing was happening and it was so frustrating. And I went to China, I went to Europe, all over the United States, and the place I ended up going was in my backyard in Phoenix, Arizona at the Barrow Neurological Institute. Brain tumor tissue is the raw material needed to find a cure. 
and Barrow does more brain tumor resection than anyone in the country. So we had the volume of brain tumor tissue here. Through time, I was getting to know a doctor by the name of Dr. Nader Sinai. And this worldwide search, and everyone was more focused on the drug or the therapy they thought would cure it. Dr. Sinai said, wait a minute, clearly what we're doing is not working. Let's look at this from the 40,000 foot level and think about the process of how we are trying to find a cure. You know, clinical trials take five to 10 years. People with glioblastoma die in 18 months. Clearly, this doesn't add up. So he designed phase zero clinical trial, which is a whole different way to do clinical trials. It takes nine to 12 months to complete these trials. And they're very personalized to that person's tumor. Today, if someone is diagnosed with primary brain cancer, they have the tumor removed and they have radiation if they can. And there's one drug that they take um, that can add possibly a few months to their life. That's it. The brain cancer will always come back because you can't remove it all. Sometimes it takes shorter times than others, but it will come back. At that time, you just have to choose a clinical trial if that's what you want to do. And it's random, you know, throw a dart to choose your clinical trial. You can, based on the trust of your doctor or, or whatever feels right for you, but why not customize it so you have a better chance? So with the phase zero, we take the original brain tumor tissue and we do a genetic sequencing and we choose two drugs, not one. You need something really powerful, two drugs customized to the genetics of your brain cancer. And now this is happening when the tumor comes back. So you need to get that tumor out again. And three days before surgery, you take a microdose of this customized cocktail. And it's really small. I could drink it and be fine. And so you take this cocktail. Three days later, you have that second tumor removed. Immediately during surgery, that tumors run upstairs and they can determine in a lab, did those drugs make it to the tumor and did they do their job? If the answer is yes, you continue on that cocktail in a stronger dose. If not, you haven't lost anything. You had to have that tumor removed anyhow. So we're doing new drug combinations and it's so fast. We've done over uh, 20 clinical trials in four years. The last clinical trial I did before this took 10 years, and that was for 100 patients. We have done over 300 patients at the Ivy Brain Tumor Center. So it's just getting that factory to move faster to get that information towards a cure. Catherine, first off, thank you for sharing. I'm so, I, I don't want you to stop talking. I'm so wrapped into this conversation. And I have a, so many questions for you. So first off, thank you and our condolences because it's gut-wrenching to share these personal things of how you got here, for one. And for two, is that my hat's off. Congratulations on just being so damn determined to make a change, right? Not to keep continually doing the same thing and making sure that the money was well spent and the, and the center was moving in the direction that you wanted results. I think that's always key, right? You can 
I sometimes become critical on the pharmaceutical industry because it's always about just get get another pill, right? And I'm sure I'm not the only person thinks that out there, but I would like to ask you just a few things. First off, making May the awareness month for brain tumors. How does anybody come up with the, you know, where is the thought process on how brain tumors start or, you know, how do you get a brain tumor? You know, is it sometimes an impact issue? Because obviously I've banged my head a few times, you know, I mean, you do think of these things, right? Is there anything that is a bit of a trigger or is it just an absolute wild card? It's a wild card. Mm. I believe 5% of brain tumors are genetic, but only five. It's an area they, there's no early detection. People die too fast for them to understand the disease that well so far. And I do want to just make a distinction because people get confused. I'm talking about primary brain tumors, primary brain cancer. That's when it starts in your brain. When you have another type of cancer like breast or lung that spreads to your brain, that's a totally different disease. Mm -hmm. And so I just, a lot, sometimes there's confusion there. People will ask, well, does primary brain cancer ever spread to the rest of the body? And the answer is no, no one survived, has ever survived it for that to happen. Mm -hmm. But so it is primary, it's not the metastasized. Right. It is, you know, honestly, it's something that I feel like I know the least about of all things, right? If I didn't know you, honestly, I wouldn't even know as much as I know today regarding this. So hopefully, you know, we can get this podcast out and, and may becomes the awareness of, of folks like this. And amazingly, I just ran into somebody I met randomly at a motorcycle race and same thing. She was driving her vision crossed and she didn't know why. And sure enough, a brain tumor was pressing on her, uh, you know, near her orbital bone kind of thing. So yeah. same thing, you know, just the, the amazing things of how you discover it, right? So is there any kind of preventative, I don't know what do you, what it would be maintenance or any kind of, you know, tests, like even if you, if it is some percentage is genetic, is there any kind of, you know, 23andMe that detects that. I mean, this is just such unfettered territory for most people, I would say. No, it's at ground zero, unfortunately. This cancer is so, to my understanding, it duplicates itself so fast compared to other cancers, and it knows how to hide itself, and it knows how to transform itself into different cells. I mean, it's survival mechanisms are mind-boggling to me so unfortunately there is no you know, nothing to do to be proactive about it an mri is the only thing that diagnoses it and my experience and i don't know if this is scientifically proven but my uh, for my husband for other reasons had a cat scan a year before and then just a year later had this massive tumor and I've heard that before. If for another reason, someone will have a PET scan or CAT scan and nothing shows, and then they've got this massive brain tumor six months later. So I believe it's very fast growing. Mm -hmm. But the thing with all neurological diseases, it's often when a person is ill of any type of brain tumor or brain disease, their personality changes. Mm -hmm. And that can be very painful 
And so sometimes with brain cancer, there can be a little bit of a stigma of, oh, I don't want to talk about that. That's too scary. That's too painful. I hear that a lot. But where the opportunity is, is brain cancer is so much more complicated. It controls your whole body. I believe if we can figure out brain cancer, it will really shed light on all cancers. Right. You know, that's the the breakthrough, right? I Every time something happens here that just seems like you discover the basics element of, of the breakthrough, I call it squeeze ketchup, right? It's the squeeze ketchup bottle. We pounded that ketchup bottle forever, right? And, and as soon as somebody goes, oh, well, let's put that in the squeeze ketchup, then everything's in a squeeze ketchup, right? It was just, it's always the first step forward to make like a revolutionary change yeah. as, as basic as squeeze ketchup is, right? Yeah. <laughs> and especially when you're dealing with, you know, human life, you've got to duplicate your results. And that's why volume is so important. You mm-hmm. have to prove patterns that work. The more you can see something happening over and over again, the more it's proven. And so that's why having the volume of brain tumor tissue is so important. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's pretty amazing that, you know, there was studies for years and now you're at, at, at I think you said 300 cases that you're studying with Barrows. Is that we've had 300 people complete clinical trials and Mm -hmm. we've had more, you know, um, sign up and apply. But when you're in a clinical trial, the littlest thing happens, you get a cold, you can't continue. I see. So to have someone complete is a a big deal. And the way we're designed, even if it the tumor comes back a third time, we can do a phase zero again. So we can really give options. Mm-hmm. It has to give hope as well, right? So Very really much. Must. I know that uh, the, the emotional side of it is huge. My dad had Alzheimer's. It doesn't compare at all because that's a long, slow process. I love that you comment that you know, your husband didn't suffer, which you know, any of the big diseases and cancers, you can go on for years. And, and I think I, my frustration, I heard you say, you know, is like what has been done in, over these 35 years, there's one drug. And I felt the same, like I was contributing to the Alzheimer's Foundation, but there was nothing being done that I could really pinpoint, right? I I just couldn't see it. And I'm sure we'll probably get backlash on that. I appreciate everybody's efforts, but that's what I think I admire about what you're doing is like you're demanding to have solutions and think outside the box. And I believe you, was it Dr. Sinai? Sinai, sorry. I mean, I, he must be aligned with your way of thinking yeah. to be able to come up with this phase zero and things like that to move this forward, right? Like getting the, unlocking the key is what really is the thing, right? Like how do you unlock that one key that breaks the rest of it open? Well, we have a staff of over 50 people now just focused on this. And we are in the process of building our own building, 75,000 square feet um, that will be done next year, which will really give us even a boost. It'll be so much more efficient because we're all in one place. Right now we're a little bit scattered around the hospital due to space limitations. But uh, Dr. Sinai really you know, deserves the credit. He is gifted with an intelligence I haven't seen too many times in my life. But he has lost two family members to brain cancer, and he's mm-hmm. highly motivated. Um, and he does things for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. It's very good values, and that helps too. Well, you know, just from looking at our own backyard, as you say, it's amazing that you traveled the world looking for some kind of 
intervention on you know somebody understanding this process and wanting to go and and you come home to find it here so (laughs) you never know (laughs) you never know right yeah no and and i think phoenix uh children is it phoenix children yes yeah so i know they do great work i don't really know but um i have a couple more questions for you i know that it was probably five or seven years ago i forget the author so i apologize but i read a book called the lucky years and the lucky years, honestly, I, as I'm watching medicine and watch my folks and all that, really the story was is that even five years, even if it was eight years ago, they, they were saying that this idea of dialing in a cocktail, you know, that, that you would, your doctor is going to have this major bank of information, a database on you the minute you walk in because everything's going to be on your phone or your wrist or whatever. This is way before Apple Watch, right, or any of the... <laughs> Fitbits and things, but now just briefly looking back, it's so true. And now, you know, that you used to walk in and your doctor saw your snapshot of whatever you had for 30 minutes, your blood pressure, you know, all these things. But now he's got this long history of your physical activity, your sleep, your, you know, your diet, all of these things, your heart rate, you know, your glucose if you want on your phone. And that really is coming to fruition in massive quick responses. So this basically is the crux of what you're doing. You're you're really taking the the small cocktail and you're seeing if it's affecting those brain tissues after they remove the tumor. Is that basically in layman's terms how they're seeing if it's affected or not? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. One thing with the biomedical that has moved so much faster than other areas of science is sometimes in my opinion, I feel that we've created this massive dictionary of data, but we don't always know what to do with it. And so that's what this phase zero is applying all that data in the most efficient way. Because you can, if you have this massive dictionary, but you don't know what mm-hmm. to do with it, right. then you know, it, it, that still has to catch up for brain cancer. Yes. Well, I do know that uh, Google Analytics, you know, people often think, and even we were just discussing, right, about, you know, how your furniture and your appliances and everything want to be hooked to the Internet, and it yeah. feels like an invasion of your privacy. But really, I, I remember reading something, it might have been in the same book, that uh, the Google Analytics, as far as, you know, concentrations of certain types of cancer or, you know, afflictions or whatever, like the China study, right? The, all the kids in the Philippines, like what is the common denominator that's causing something in this geographical area? And really what Google was trying to say is like, we don't want to know who you are or where you live. Well, I think they want your address, but they don't want to know who you are, right? Yeah. But they want to know why this, let's say, this one cluster, this cluster. Thank you so much. Like there was a cluster of people that was very high on cancer rates and there was nothing to match them, not ethnicity, professions, history, nothing. But it ended up the only thing they had in common was they lived in the flight path of an airport and they it was the disruption of sleep, the quality of sleep. And they moved people out of these areas and got them quality sleep and their health, like, you know, immediately started to take a turn for the better. And I remember the China study as well, like they could measure those markers, you know, from kids and and the intake of food and processed foods and all those things. So to me that, you know, all of these great things, not only are you trying to help the, the brain tumor, you know, 
patience, but this really is, is the key to a breakthrough, right? And getting all of this data and, and doing something valuable with it. Yeah, applying the data specific to the person's tumor, because unlike other cancers, every brain tumor that has cancer is, is unique. If you take two patients, the genetics, there's some similarities, but their genetics of that tumor will be different. Hmm. It's not a consistent, that, so you can use you know one drug for everyone. There's gonna be, mod, it's, it has to be tailored. So far, mm-hmm. that's what they know. Boy, what a challenge. Yes. That's amazingly challenging. And the scientists, you know, all over the world, especially the United States, work so hard, and they're the most brilliant people in the room. And, you know, thank goodness they're, they have hung in there because when you have a career and you're so brilliant and you keep hitting dead ends, it's not easy. Mm-hmm. But they're, they do it, and they persist, and they, they're the heroes as well as the patients. Yes, no question about that. How does one become more aware? Like, so, so May is the awareness month for brain tumors, but you know, how does one maybe educate themselves past this podcast today? And you know, how, does, how do you stay in touch, or how does somebody contribute maybe to your foundation? Well, the Ivy Brain Tumor Center, we support a lot of events in honor of brain tumor awareness. Um, we have a dine and donate program throughout Phoenix. Dr. Sinai will be throwing the pitch at the Diamondbacks game on May 26th. Our website, which is in English and Spanish, is extremely extensive, and it's very educational, explaining all types of brain tumors, what they look like, what the options are. It's very educational. It also mentions you know, foundations throughout the world that support brain tumor research. One thing that is unique with the Ivy Brain Tumor Center is we don't have any indirect fees meaning if you donate a dollar, that dollar goes to work. There's not a carve-out for administration. But I understand it's wonderful to give to a charity where you feel like you have immediate impact. And this is a longer-term game. But, boy, is it worthwhile, because if we can figure out more about the brain, it's just a win-win for everyone. Mm -hmm. It sure is. Well, it's been my pleasure. I know you're one busy lady, so uh, and I really... Just, I think I've been enlightened, and I know our listeners will be as well. Um, so I appreciate you coming on, and uh, thank you so much for all of the information behind brain tumors. Well, thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thanks for listening with Spirit this week. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast to let us know what you want to hear about in aerospace and defense. You can find out more about Spirit's value-added services and product lines at spiritelectronics.com.